In Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4, the writer to the Hebrews refers three times to Numbers chapter 13 and 14 and three times to Psalm 95, 7 through 11. I told Lynn while we were driving over here, some of these messages out of Hebrews and 3, 4 will necessarily sound the same, but they're different. And to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, Paul said, but for you it's safe. I've entitled this message, While It Said Today. Uh, the way the Holy Spirit words everything is exactly as he would have it said. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed and said exactly as God would have it to say. This will not always be said while it's said. For this time that it can be said today. If you will hear his voice. Harden not your heart. I'd like to read a passage from Matthew 25. You might want to turn there with me. This is the parable of the foolish virgins. And the wise virgins. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now, if you would have looked at these ten virgins, they all looked the same on the outside. You couldn't see the difference. But the scripture says, or the Lord says, five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Oil is representative of the grace of God. Oil is representative of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of oil. They had the lamp. They had no oil. But the wise took oil in their lamps, in their vessels with their lamps, and while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. Now, if you would have looked at these ten virgins at this time, they all looked the same, didn't they? They all had a lamp, and all ten were asleep. And if you would look at them at this time, you couldn't tell which ones were wise and which ones were foolish. And at midnight, there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. That's something right now, isn't it? Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, during that time increment represented by the word while, same while that we read of in Hebrews chapter 3, during this time. 
while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. The while was over. Afterward came also the other virgins. This period of time was over. Afterwards came also the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. Now, if you were here last Sunday, I made the statement that the two biggest false refuges men hide in are yesterday and tomorrow. Yesterday, I look to yesterday's faith, yesterday's experience, yesterday's feelings. Well, what happened if you ate yesterday's manna? It would breed worms and it would stink. Faith is only and always for the present. If I intend to do something tomorrow, well, I don't know if I'll even have tomorrow. And that's making a, a something in the flesh. I'm going to do this tomorrow. I'm going to do that tomorrow. If you hide in the past, you're hiding in what you did. If you hide in the future, you're hiding on what you plan to do. Both situations are salvation by works. While he said today. Faith is always for right now. Just like you only ate the manna that fell that very day. Today. While it's said today. Verse 15. If you will hear his voice. Now, don't you want to hear his voice? I do. And I know you do too. And this is not talking about hearing his voice audibly. More powerful than that when you hear his voice. Now, he speaks. He's the God who speaks. He speaks by creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. What a eloquent message that is he speaks by providence everything that happens to me and you is him speaking i don't care what it is the good stuff the bad stuff the blessings the trials the difficult things the joyful things everything that takes place is him speaking he's the god who speaks Oh, he speaks in his word. Aren't you thankful for the word of God, the scriptures? And he speaks in the preaching of the gospel. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. He speaks. Thank God he speaks. Now, Notice it says in Hebrews 3.15, while it said today, 
if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. As in the provocation, and he's talking about what took place in Numbers chapter 13 and chapter 14. We'll consider that in a moment, but he says, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Now, I know the Bible says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. As a matter of fact, it says that a whole lot more times than it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. But the Bible still says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. What really um, hit me when I was thinking about this thing of a hardened heart to where you don't hear the gospel as you once did. I thought of those people in Numbers chapter 21. They murmured. They complained. They said, we don't have any food. We don't have any water. Now that very day, water came from that rock. And that very day, manna came down from heaven. But they said, we don't have any food. We don't have any water and our souls loathe. That's the word. Our souls loathe this light bread. Bread hadn't changed. They did. That's the point. Their hearts had hardened. Manna from heaven was now light Insubstantial bread, light bread. Uh, go to the store and get some of that light bread, only 30 calories a slice. It tastes like a do, doesn't it? Now, he says, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Uh, now, here's what took place. Numbers chapter 13 and number 14, chapter 14 is the story. Uh, this was just a few weeks after they had left Egypt and they were getting ready to enter the promised land that God promised he would give them. And they decided to get a committee together to go check it out and see if it was what God said it was. And they sent 40 spies. No, 12 spies, I'm sorry, for 40 days. 12 spies for 40 days. And they looked throughout all the land, and they saw everything God said was true. It was a land that flowed with milk and honey. They bring back a cluster of grapes so big that it had to be set on a staff between two men, them carrying it in. Can't imagine that. And they said, everything God said about this place was true, but. Now remember, they'd seen God destroy Egypt for their sake. They'd seen the parting of the Red Sea. They'd heard the giving of the law. They'd seen the bread come from heaven. They'd seen the water come from a rock that was smitten. That's the gospel. But they say, we can't take these people on. They're too big. They're giants. And they got upset. They began to murmur at Moses and murmur at God and said, why did you bring us out here for us to die in the wilderness and bring our children here that they should be prey to this land? Let's make us a captain. 
and go back to Egypt. It was better in Egypt. Let's make us a captain. And Caleb and Joshua said, we can take the land easily if God's for us. You see, if God's for you, who can be against you? Uh, nobody. And he, they had confidence. You know what the people wanted to do? Stone them. Put them to death right now. That's when God said, how long will these people provoke me? All they'd seen and they could not trust him. Isn't that what unbelief is? It is saying, I cannot trust him. And what did God say with regard to those people? He said, the 40 days that they're going to, that they spent in the land, it's going to turn into 40 years. And they're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And every single one of them are going to die in the wilderness and never enter the promised land. As far as the people that left that were over 20, you know, there's no such thing as an age of accountability in the scriptures. You probably heard that. But if there is one, it's 20. <laughs> I don't think that represents an age of accountability, but with regard to them, it did. If you were under 20 years old, when you went into the land, you got to enter the promised land. But if you were over 20, you spent 40 years in the wilderness. And the only two people that made it in were Joshua and Caleb. Joshua, the Savior. Moses couldn't bring him into the promised land, could he? He represented the law. Joshua, the Savior. Caleb, I love Caleb's name. Faithful dog. That's what a believer is. He knows his master. Faithful dog. But the rest of them did not enter in. Verse 16, for some, when they had heard, did provoke they provoke God with their unbelief. We can't trust him to bring us in. We can't handle these giants. We can't handle the children of that. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. Uh, isn't everybody a grasshopper in God's sight? He says that, doesn't he? But they weren't thinking in those lines. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned? Whose carcasses fell in the wilderness. Of over two million people, most estimate that left Egypt, you know at least a million of them were over 20. Probably more than that. How many of those people entered the promised land? How many people were saved when God flooded the world? Eight. Don't you know that Moses preached the gospel 120 years to those people? Verse 18. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? Now this is a concept that comes over and over again in Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4. This concept of 
rest. What is meant by rest? Would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 1? This is where we're introduced to the Sabbath. You know, I think it's interesting when you uh, drive down the highway, about every time you're going to run across the Ten Commandments posted at some point. And I think, I wonder why nobody even deals with the Sabbath. I know why they don't deal with it, because they don't know what it means. And they think that the Sabbath has to do with a day where you don't work. Well, it does have to do with that, but not what they think. It has to do with not working, but resting in Christ. Now look in verse 31 of chapter 1. This is the end of creation, and God saw everything that he'd made. And behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were what? Finished. Finished. You remember what the Lord said from the cross? It is finished. Finished. And all the host of them, verse 2, and on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. Let me give you a New Testament commentary on that. Christ is the what? End of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. And he rested on the seventh day. Now let me remind you, he didn't rest because he was tired. He's all powerful. God doesn't get tired. He doesn't get weary. Uh, he never has to wipe his brow from uh, too much exertion. He rested because the work was finished. Now, if you want to understand what faith is, here it is. Turn back to Hebrews 4. We're going to look at this more next week, Lord willing. But in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, there remaineth therefore a rest and my marginal reading says and this is the only time this word is used in the new testament there remaineth therefore a sabbath keeping now here is sabbath keeping it's not not cooking on sundays for one thing uh since when did the Sabbath change from Saturday to Sunday in the first place? <laughs> it didn't. Uh, people say, with the Christian Sabbath. No. Uh, the Lord's Day is on Sunday, and it's called that, the Lord's Day. 
Uh, but Sabbath, Sabbath's still Saturday, the end of the uh, week. But um, so if you're going to try to keep a Sabbath, don't be like a Seventh-day Adventist. They keep with uh, Saturday. And they, that's their righteousness. You know, they, we, we do it on Saturday. But um, the point is, the Sabbath, people have made a work out of not working. And that's the problem. No understanding of the Sabbath. Now look what he says in verse 9. There remaineth therefore a rest. And as I said, this is the only time this word is found in the New Testament. Literally a Sabbath keeping. A keeping of the Sabbath. Now how important was it to keep the Sabbath? You remember uh, when some children of Israel found some people like gathering up sticks on the Sabbath? They said, what do we do with them? God said, stone them. Kill them. Uh, if I don't enter into this rest, I won't be saved because this is the rest of faith. When you rest, what do you do? Nothing. Boy, that's hard to get hold of. I need to do something, don't I? Nothing. It's a rest in response to a finished work. God rested on the Sabbath day there wasn't anything left to do. The work was finished. And it was very good. And we rest in the finished work of Christ. As soon as I think of that, if the Lord gives me the grace to really, I feel tension go out of my body. I'm resting. I'm not working. I'm not doing. I'm resting. Now, an unbeliever will say, well, you, you need to give us something to do. No, I'm resting. I'm resting. I'm resting in him who finished the work. It is finished. You know what that means? That means there's nothing to do. The hardest thing that me and you are ever called to do is nothing. Rest in what Christ has done. What else can you do? What else can you do? Rest. Let's go on reading Hebrews 4. There remaineth therefore a rest a Sabbath keeping to the people of God. You know, God's people are the only ones who ever rest. Nobody else rests. Everybody's working, doing, trying to establish a righteousness that they think will obligate God to save them. I've done this, I've done that. That's what unbelievers do. Working. Remember what the Lord said to the Pharisees? They said, what must we do that we might work the works of God? He said, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he hath sent. Beloved, rest. Rest. Verse 10. For he that is entered into his rest, here's what that looks like. He ceased from his own works. There you have it. 
Have you ever done that? Ceased from your own works as God did from his. Now, why did God cease? Why did he rest? The work was finished. It was very good. It was ended. And he didn't do anything else because there was nothing left to do. He that's entered into his rest hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. And I think the um, verse 11 is so uh, <laughs> telling. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest because the one thing that you'll find more difficult than anything else is just a rest. <laughs> let us labor. Let us give every effort. Let us give all diligence to labor to enter into that rest, ceasing from your own works. Right now, when Christ said it's finished, it's finished. Everything God requires of me, I have. I can't do anything to enhance that. I can't do anything to make it better. Don't want to. Don't want to. The Lord said, come unto me, and I will give you rest. Now, if you do not rest in him, it will be because you didn't want rest. That's the only reason. You don't really find any safety in that. You don't find any security in that. And the bottom line is, you think your works are more important than his. You wouldn't say that. But if you fail to rest, if I fail to rest, it's because deep down I think there's some merit in something I do. And I fail to rest. Uh, unbelief. You see no safety in what Christ did. You would rather be saved by your works than his. And you know that's crazy. That's insane. That's mad. Why would someone want to be saved by their own works rather than Christ? Because they really believe their works are better. Now, they'd never say that. No one would dare. Oh, my works are better than the works of Jesus Christ. Nobody's going to say that. But if I fail to rest, that's what I believe. Let me repeat this. I'm not going to refuse to come to Christ because I'm not elect. Or because Christ didn't die for me. Well, I'm afraid I can't come because I'm not elect. Don't even talk like that. Don't even think like that. It's wrong. I'm afraid I can't come to Christ because I don't know that he died for me. Come to him and rest. And if you don't, it's because you see no safety in resting in him. You're really like the children of Israel who are provoked in Numbers 13 and 14. We can't do this. We're not able to do this. Your ability has nothing to do with this. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him. Now unto him that's able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Oh, his ability 
Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Now look what it says in verse 18. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Unbelief is evil. It's evil. It says what Christ did is not sufficient. I see more safety in me trusting myself than what he did. These people who failed to enter into his rest were people who would not believe. They're saying, you are not worthy of my trust and you are not worthy of my confidence. Turn with me for a moment to 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 7. Unto you, therefore, which believe... I love the simplicity of this. He is precious. That's what folks believe who believe. Unto you which believe, he is precious. He's precious in his person. He's God man. He is God over all, blessed forever, the man Christ Jesus perfect humanity. He's precious in what he did. He shed his precious blood to put away sin. He's the Savior. Oh, isn't this so to you which, which believe? He's precious, isn't he? He's precious. But to them which be disobedient. Now that word disobedient is usually translated, believe not. To believe not is disobedience. To be disobedient is to not believe. To them which build not, that believe not, to them which are disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed. Disapproved. You see, if you don't believe, it's because you don't approve of him. You don't approve of being saved by him. You find safety somewhere else. You don't approve of being having only his righteousness. You don't approve of relying only his blood. You don't approve of that. The stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made. Who made him this way? God. The same is made the head of the corner. Now this one who's the head of the corner is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient. That's the same word, not believing. 
not believing. And Peter says, whereunto also they were appointed. Now, I'm not going to apologize for what God says. <laughs> I'm not. God says this. He says, concerning these people who did not believe, they were appointed to this. Now, I don't claim to understand uh, all that's behind that. I, I, I know that it says what it says, and it means what it means. And I know if I am lost, I can't blame God. I can't say, this is God's fault. It's all my fault. Every bit of it. I take full responsibility. If anybody's in hell, it's their fault they're there. You, can't, you don't go to hell because you're not elect. You don't go to hell because Jesus Christ didn't die for you. You go to hell because you will not believe. That's why people go to hell. And also know this. If I go to hell, I was appointed to it. That's what God says. And I make no apology for that. You can find that, that uh, concept four different times in the New Testament where God said this. <clears throat> Look at verse 19 of our text. Hebrews 3, the last verse. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. They could not enter in. They would not because they could not. They could not because they would not. They could not enter in because of unbelief. Now, I want to close by uh, saying some things about this thing of unbelief. This is what the scripture says with regard to unbelief. Here's the first thing I want to say. All believers have unbelief. No exceptions. It's what that man said in Mark chapter 9, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. All believers have unbelief. Somebody says, well, how can you believe and not believe at the same time? Well, I, I know how to answer that. The new man believes. He always believes. He cannot not believe. The old man never believes two natures in one man and the reason this can be so difficult to understand in our experience is because we only have one consciousness we don't have two different consciousness we have one consciousness and the works of the old man and the works of the new man flow out of the same consciousness and we experience that uh, I can't look at anything and say well that was holy no, if I did it, it's not holy. Huh. Uh, I can't see I'm justified. I can't look at myself and say, yep, he's justified. No, I believe it by faith. But every believer has faith and unbelief. Now, every unbeliever has nothing but unbelief because they have only one nature, the nature they were born with. They've never been born again. Secondly, all believers have 
unbelief. Secondly, the Lord does not work through unbelief. Why should he? Mark chapter 13, verses, verse 58 says, He did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Do you remember when the disciples came up to the Lord in Matthew chapter 17 and said, Why couldn't we cast out those demons? You know how he answered that? Because of your unbelief. That's why. You see, the biggest problem you and I have in our lives is unbelief. That's the besetting sin. Somebody says, well, my besetting sin is, you think of some bad habit. The other one says, my besetting sin is pride. My Your besetting sin, my besetting sin is unbelief. That is the sin that does so easily beset us and trip us up. And it's the mother of all other sins. Every other sin comes from the sin of unbelief. Saying to God, you're not to be trusted. I cannot trust you. I like this. Uh, in Mark chapter 6, verse 6, Christ is said to marvel at their unbelief. I, 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 he, mar he marveled. He said, this is amazing. Something so groundless, so wrong, so stupid. That's unbelief that we all have. The Lord marveled at their unbelief. It's so unreasonable to have unbelief because of who he is. You know, after the resurrection, the scripture says he upbraided his disciples for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Right after the resurrection. Mark chapter 16, verse 14. Now I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 3 for a moment. Romans chapter 3. Paul says in verse 3, For what if some did not believe? He's speaking of the Jews who'd received the oracles of God. What if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Shall their unbelief make void God's purpose? God wanted to do this, but it didn't happen because of their unbelief. I love Paul's answer. God forbid. Man's unbelief is not going to disannul God's purpose. Nothing will disannul God's purpose. You can just write that down. Nothing will disannul God's purpose. My unbelief, your unbelief, the unbelief of devils, the unbelief of demons, the unbelief of un God's purpose shall Stand. The foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. God will always, God's will will always be done, and the unbelief of men or devils cannot hinder that. 
Even a man's unbelief is going to glorify the justice of God. Now, I've already quoted this. Let me quote it again. What is said of Abraham, this is found in Romans chapter 4, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. God said to Abraham when he was an old man, you're going to have a child through Sarah, your wife, who's already gone through that time of life. And he didn't stagger at that. He believed what God said. He didn't have any evidence it was going to take place other than the word of God. He believed God. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. You know how you glorify God most? By believing him. By believing him. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded. You know when you're going to believe? When God persuades you to. And when he persuades you, you're persuaded. Being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy 1.12, I know whom I have believed. This is so important. He doesn't say, I know I'm saved. I've had people come up to me and say, I know I'm saved. Nobody can tell me different. Uh, just as soon as you say that, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I really believe you. Or somebody will say, do you think I'm saved? What difference does it make what I think? If I think you're saved, does that mean you are? No. If I think you're not, does that mean you're not? No. Paul said, I know whom, not what, not anything about me, I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded, I'm convinced, God's convinced me that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him, the salvation of my soul against that day. Paul said in Romans 8, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor heights nor depths nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me tell you what the cure for unbelief is. God persuade us. And if you believe, it's because he persuaded you. Let's pray. Lord, we confess the sinfulness of our unbelief and pray for deliverance and cleansing. But Lord, we do believe. We do believe your gospel. We do believe that thy son is able to keep that which we have committed and entrusted to him. Lord, we've entrusted to him 
the salvation of our souls. And we look wholly to him. Lord, give everybody in this room the grace to commit the salvation of their souls to thy blessed son, believing that he is able to save. In his name we pray.